This is Diana Cordy with Book Talk. My guest is Nathaniel Philbrick, author of 13 books. His new is Travels with George in Search of Washington and His Legacy. Nathaniel, welcome back to Book Talk. It's great to be back with you. As Travels with George opens up, you write, I like to probe the darkness at the edges of our nation's history. Instead of the triumphs, I'm most interested in the struggle. What struggles led to George Washington's long road trips? I think a lot of us seem to see Washington as almost supernatural, you know, as above human frailty. But the fact of the matter was he was beset with all sorts of challenges when he became president. He was the leader of a country that was already divided. The Constitution had divided the country into those who were for a strong national government, the Federalists, and those who wished the state still retained the power they had had under the Articles of Confederation. They were known as anti-federalists. Washington needed to pull this country together. He was also a 57-year-old man at the beginning of his presidency. No one in his family had ever lived that long in the male line. You know, he really already felt as if he was on borrowed time. And sure enough, as soon as he became president, he started having these health issues. There would be a tumor that would sprout on his thigh within a month of him taking office that would nearly kill him. And then uh, less than a year later, it would be the flu where Martha was convinced he was had gone into his death raffle. And he realized that the pressures of being the first president of the United States, the lack of exercise. Up, up until then, he had constantly been on the move as a general and as a plantation owner. He would spend six hours a day on horseback. You know, he needed to do something to get out of the office. And one of the ways to do it was to hit the road. This is before mass media, before you could get on the television and, and let the people know what you were about. He needed to go see the people. He needed to get out of the office, see the people, try to create a sense of national pride and unity among 13 essentially independent states. And so Washington was hoping to save both himself and his country on these tours of America. In 1789, what was his mode of transportation? Yeah, this was not Air Force One. This was, uh, he was on a horse-drawn carriage pulled by four, four horses. Washington had a sense of theatrics. And when he would come to the edge of a town, he would often stop the, the carriage, get out of the carriage dressed in his general's uniform, you know, the one he had worn during the revolution, get on his great big white horse in the Southern tour, it was named Prescott, and ride into town to thunderous acclaim. I mean, you know, he knew how to make an impression. He was probably the most famous man in the world in 1789. And so he used that star power, created an impression to let people realize that, you know, it's, there's something more here than your town, your state. There's something called the United States of America. He visited a hundred towns and villages. Is that right? At least in New England alone. And so, you know, you add the South and the middle Atlantic states when he was on his way uh, to New York for his inauguration. Yeah, you're, you're getting between 100 and 200 places. Give some examples of how the legacy of slavery was evident throughout your travel. Rhode Island was the capital 
of the slave trade in America. You know, I don't think most people realize that. Just about everybody in the state had some connection to slavery. And so slavery was not just a Southern issue. And then we go to the South. We're in Savannah. And there we are staying in, you know, in Johnson Square in Savannah, where there were regularly were held slave auctions across from the, the Episcopal Church. I mean, you know, this was, it was an issue that was very much alive to us as we made our way across. Just as it was an issue, Washington was trying to unite the country. Slavery was not the issue he wanted to focus on because he knew he would lose the South if he made his, his stance on slavery public. It, would, it, would be in, it wouldn't be until he died that he freed his enslaved workers. But well before that, during the Revolution, he had come to see the pernicious nature of slavery and was overheard to say during his second term as president, if slavery should divide this country, I will go with the northern part, which is a very remarkable statement for a Virginian. And so Washington, his legacy is one that, you know, yes, he was a slaveholder, but he believed with all his heart in the Union, the very concept that would lead Lincoln 75 years later to issue the Emancipation Proclamation. And so I think what, when it comes to America's relationship to slavery, Washington is, a, uh, is an important figure because he personally had a tortured relationship with the, the institution, just as this country still does today. What would Washington make of today's politics? In one sense, he would not be surprised by the partisan divide. Even by his second term, what were, had been known as Federalists and Anti-Federalists had, been, had become a two-party system, the Federalists and the Republicans. And, and it was bare-knuckled, it was partisanship, it was personal invectives. And Washington retired to Mount Vernon very depressed by the divided nature of the country. But I, so I don't think you'd be terribly surprised by what we're dealing with, but what would really trouble him was that he spent eight years of his life trying to establish the legitimacy of a national government, that to establish people's faith in a government of laws, not of a government of individuals. And so, you know, I think he would be very dismayed at attempts to undercut people's faith in government. Because once that faith is undercut, we are no longer the United States of America. You know, it's, it's gone. And I think that's where Washington uh, would be very dismayed by what's happening today. Are we going to pull back from the brink? I don't know. I ha- have faith in this country. I ultimately do. Um, I think Washington was able to build in those early years of his presidency something built to last that could survive beyond the partisanship divide. This country hit him, you know, long before we got here. We have been through scenes like this before. And yet, you know, things, as I say in the book, it feels like the sinews of this country have been stretched to the breaking point. I just, you know, hope and pray and ultimately have faith that the the institution Washington helped establish will see us through. What can modern presidents learn from George Washington's travels around the country? Yeah. That apply today. Well, you know, it's a very good question. I I think uh, one of the things Washington was trying to achieve was to create a government that worked, that was not stalemated, a government that would serve the people 
that would be strong enough that its policies would be able to help all Americans, uh, not condemning out of hand. And I think that's where modern politicians, you know, just wait a minute. You're here to make a, the government work. You're not here just to get on a, a dogmatic hobby horse and ride it into the ground. It's such a cynical exercise if you're doing it just to get elected. At some point, this is a position of service to the people. And this is the example I would hope Washington has for modern day politicians. Well, thank you. My guest is Nathaniel Philbrick, author of Travels with George, published by Viking. This is Diana Cordy with Book Talk. Thank you. This is great.